The Green Knight. We've been waiting for this movie for a long time. It came out last month. It is everything I had hoped it would be. And we have a really long post on No Film School. If you really want to dive into the meaning, the history, the detail, craftsmanship, there's just so much going on in this film that is just excellent. And I recommend you watch it, see it, think about it, read up on it, discuss it. But today we have a treat because we have cinematographer Andrew Draws Palermo, who shot The Green Knight, collaborated with David Lowry over the course of years because this film was delayed due to COVID, which gave them an opportunity to reflect, collaborate, look back, and change a lot of what the movie was. So we talk about all that and more today in my interview with Andrew on the No Film School podcast. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Great. I'm so glad uh, I'm so glad we could do this. I love the movie, and I was really looking forward to talking to you about it. And um, yeah, it's been out. People are people are seemingly enjoying it. Um, <laughs> and baffled by it equally, it seems, which I, I'm so happy <laughs> to see. And it's it's stimulating some uh, interesting conversations and familial battles, it seems. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, look, that that's why I wanted so badly. Like I started contacting PR about talking to some people from this film, you guys, as soon as I heard about it before Sunday, uh, before South by in 2020. <laughs> so like, I was wow. like, Oh my God, they're making a green night movie. <laughs> like I'm all about it. Like I love it. Amazing. So, and the Thank response you. has been great. And I'm, I'm, I, I agree. I think it's great that people are baffled by it. I want to talk to you about obviously the photography. It's a beautiful movie. It's a unique looking movie and there's a lot there, but I'm really curious you know, kind of going back and looking at your career a little bit in general, because we have some time, like yeah. what, what got you on this, on this project? And you, you've done a lot of shorts, you've done a lot of docs. Like, is this one of your first features as a DP second feature some in the first five ish? I'm looking at your, at your. Resume. Yeah. I think this is, uh, this is a number seven, I believe. Um, okay. So I was off six or seven. Yeah. <laughs> No, 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 it's fine. So, you know, before this film had, had DP'd a few and directed a few couple, I should say. And, um, in the last maybe five or six years, I've pretty much zeroed in on just DPing and not directing anymore myself. And in, excuse me, in 2017, I shot a film for David, which is our first collaboration together called a ghost story. Uh, we really hit it off and had a great time on that movie. And I think we're both both proud of the way that movie turned out. And after that, he and I did a television show together called Strange Angel. And I think somewhere at the towards the end of that show, he mentioned that he wanted to make a, a medieval epic. And, you know, would I be interested in reading it? And of course, uh, I really, really enjoy working with David. He's just um, such a kind person and, and also not too self-serious, despite being incredibly smart, talented. He's just, he has fun with himself. And I really appreciate that in a person that, you know, you can laugh at yourself. And so that's just to say that, of course, I would read it. I loved it. His scripts always are fun to read. They're, you know, they're rich. There's sometimes some interesting camera direction within the scripts. And that can be fun for me to start to imagine. You know, I said, of course, absolutely. I'm on board wherever you need me. Um, and then, 
in August, we started scouting the film August of 2017, I believe. And that was sort of the real kickoff. Wow. August of 2017. So not long after a long time in the making. Yeah. Yeah. Not long after ghost story was out there and before strange angel. Like around all this was all happening. Does Strange Angel say, are you, do you have IMDb up presently? Does Strange Angel Uh, say 2018? I I may have that wrong. Yeah. I I have to admit, I may have that wrong by one year. We would have shot in 2019. (laughs) Yeah. So we scouted in August of 2018. It would have been after Strange Angel. Okay. Got it. Got it. And then you shot in 2019 and then supposed to release in 2020. And then the world crumbled in a weird way. And now we release in 2021. So did you have any experience or knowledge of Arthurian myth or the Green Knight itself? But prior to the Yeah, none of the Green Knight. Um, I'd never I'd never even heard of it. You know, I'd mentioned it to a few friends early on. Oh my God, you know, that's one of my favorite stories. And my mom used to read it to me or I loved it in college, whatever you want to say, or, you know, I had a friend who's an editor who would say, you know, the hunts, the hunts are amazing. It's what the whole thing is about these hunts. And I was like, Oh wow, it's, it's incredible. I'm so interested to how, how many people had known about it. But for me, King Arthur and, and Knights at the Round Table is, you know, a, a largely film world story for me. I, I didn't really read Arthurian lore and Sure. Um, of course, I was a, as a kid a huge fan of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And sure, uh, yeah. You know, we and I think David Caliber a lot. And yeah. right, and David's talked about those being <laughs> like kind of baked in there somewhere as as you know the experience yeah. of them. Yeah. But visually, this one's this movie, The Green Knight, is is very separate from other versions we've seen, like um, Excalibur, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the the John Borman one. Uh, it really yeah. focuses on Arthur himself. And is way more mm-hmm. visually like, well, it's its own, it's from its era, but it's got a kind of a magicalness to the visuals, right? And yeah, my sense yeah. was you guys went for something more grounded and historical looking. Am I correct in that? Mm. Like kind of, kind of at times. Yeah, I think that's accurate at times. And then in other times I feel, you know, we took the license to go there uh, a little more magical with, with our limited means, you know? So what, what we had in stripes were, and we could go to beautiful Irish landscapes and, you know, we'd have something when we were done, you know, we could, we could roll the camera and we would have it. Whereas I think a film like Borman's um, Excalibur, you know, they were building a lot, building a lot of sets. And actually they used the same studio that we had in Wicklow, Ireland, which is a funny bit of um, overlap and kind of felt great to be, you know, walking on a, on the shoulders of those giants and are with them at our side in a way. And, and actually I think we, I'm, my gaffer was the son of the gaffer of Excalibur, which was kind of, no kind way. Of funny, That's really other cool. funny little, bit was of it a local crew? There. Yeah. But um, yeah, largely local crew, um, except for some of the heads of department, myself, costume designer and production designer, both American and, but yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right to point out that it is grounded at times. Like, I really wanted it to feel wet and sticky, and you know, feel the fog and feel the wind. And um, I really wanted to know what it felt like to be on a journey um, in a really intimate sense. And I think to do that, you can't be fully in a magical world, or it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel grounded. Yeah. Um, felt- and so there was definitely some of that, but then there's also some of the magic that I think is within that world as well. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And the further you get into the story, the more there's magic. I mean, early on there's some magic, right? Almost immediately. But the yeah. it happens in a way that feel, I don't I don't know what the adjectives to use are, but I, I it happens in a way like for me as a viewer, the movie opens and I'm looking at that era in a way that feels so yeah, like you said, wet. Um, yeah, I'm in a stone. Building. I think the the thing that I love, yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I like even about the magic and was something that we were eager to do was how do you make it feel earthy? Even though they are doing magic, these witches, the leaf which grows after they plant the rune into the ground. You know, I saw various iterations of that and it just never felt tactile enough. Um, Hmm. It always kind of felt a little magical, like a little too CG, a little too Mm -hmm. beautiful. And David and I kept saying we wanted it to feel like a stop motion or a, a time lapse of a plant growing so that it's kind of shaky as it's going and, and yeah. that it feels a little handcrafted almost that it was like stop motion. And um, I think Nicholas Bateman was the one that cracked that finally. And I just love that, that visual effect of that, that leaf growing. Cause it's that tactical tactile feeling that I love and was after and just, he nailed it. Yeah. You make, you remind me or highlight something about my experience of it, which was that, it all felt a little ancient, even in the magic. Mm. Like it felt like something that was a little old Mm -hmm. and and of the, the, of that world that that's hard to decode, which which is fun. The clock stuff, the, the puppets or the, the, the little show, Mm -hmm. you know, that that it all felt like kind of tactile, like you said, like of that world, Um, the, the sash, which is, you know, when you make a magical item, in a story like that, like in Excalibur, the sword, they didn't use CG at the time, but the sword is like shiny with lens flare, <laughs> like, and the armor is like bright, you know, and they're, yeah. they're, so they used yeah. things to create that. But, but you guys, I feel like you went another way with those things where you tried to say, we're going to earth them up somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, the, that that sash was primarily the brainchild of our our costume designer Mount Goja, and um, I, I really loved the way that she made the interior of that sash. It felt um, like intestines or something, or mm-hmm. some kind of like it. It felt bloody on the inside when they wrapped it up, and then you know we used real gold or golden thread, and that felt nice to see sort of in macro as they're stringing it and that montage and. We just set that scene up where those women basically just made that on front of us, uh, you know, a couple takes. And I just set the camera on a little jib and tracked along and I could go down from the rune as they were wrapping it in the sash and then tying it up and, you know, watching them tamp in some gold. And, you know, that in that way, it just kind of felt like we were capturing a process, which they were, in fact, making the sash and, and another sort of, as you're suggesting, um, more grounded as opposed to fully magical, something that you know might have been CG in a different movie. Yeah. Your career in virtual production starts here and now. Earn your spot on tomorrow's set with Synapse Virtual Production in LA by enrolling in RIT's immersive 10-day course this June. An exclusive experience in LA, you'll get the foundation you need to grow your career in a virtual production studio, the kind behind the groundbreaking effects seen in Disney's The Mandalorian and Marvel's Avenger films, limited seats are available. Learn more and enroll today at vpritcertified.education. 
That's vp.ritcertified.education. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Oh, and what camera did you shoot on? We shot on the Alexa 65 with um, Airy DNA lenses and some Tokinos in there as well. And, and what um, was yeah. the decision process like for you and David, like talking about medium and, you know, what were the, what were the considerations and what landed you there? Um, David, I think came to the project with large format in mind. Like I think in our very first conversations, he wanted a large format movie. He, he threw down a really interesting challenge, which I don't know that I ever fully understood his meaning, nor did he necessarily understand the ask, but he said (laughs) that he wanted this movie to feel 3d without being 3d. And I, you know, I kind of tease at that every so often. I'd pose a question: Do you mean like this? Or do you mean like that? And for me, that started to feel more and more like I wanted very wide, very dynamic frames where something could be large in the foreground, although our subject might be small in the midground, so that there would always be a push and pull about size within the frame, <laughs> even though everything could be sharp from edge to edge, and. That sort of got us on a path talking about Times at Midnight, which is a very beautiful, very beautifully lens movie and very dynamically framed and composed film. And uh, yeah, so I mean, sharp I think that focus was kind of throughout like where we started, which ended up not being film. I mean, the film is quite soft and and in many in many scenes, but it was something about the size within within the frames that something could feel large, you know, and dynamically framed close in our foreground was kind of like where I took that challenge that he laid down. I don't know yeah. about it. Did, did he feel like we, uh, we achieved that goal or not? And, I'm, th- I'm uh, you know, it's funny. I knew what the question was. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it now in a different way. I'm trying to recall whether, see, I, I love that I got to see it in a theatrical setting. I think that the movie needs that. I mean, I'd love all movies to be seen that way, but this one feels like it was made for that to me. Not just in terms of the scope, it sounds like in terms of big frames and how you did the frame, but mm-hmm. the sound as well. I'm curious how much um, you knew yeah, about yeah. some of the sound design and some of the intents there, because the sound in this movie is really rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It's very rich. That's exactly how I would have described it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I talked with Daniel, the composer, a little bit in advance and asked. Um, early in pre-pro, if there were any, if there was any kind of music he was already kicking around in his mind, or maybe he had already done a little stuff. And, you know, he started a playlist with um, myself and David on Spotify, and we just kind of swapped some moods. And some of that music was contemporary, but kind of got me into a mood. Um, we kind of took it as a something to think about sonically, because I think sound and music are so important to the pace of the imagery. And I think that really helps me to get into a vibe. But as far as like how the Green Knight sounded, I didn't know necessarily how 
uh, substantive he might sound, but I mm. had a feeling and I think I knew perhaps that there was going to be a lot of these kind of creaks and cracks yeah. and, um, but the bass <laughs> and body that they bring into that is just so wonderful and makes him such a character that is different than the character I was experiencing on set. Cause, uh, Ralph is such a lovely, kind man. Uh, and the green Knight actually kind of is oddly winking and kind and sneaky and fun in that way too. But the, the body of him, the, the weight and how ancient he feels, I feel is, you know, all done in sound and it's just incredible. It's, it's a fascinating yeah. thing to hear that because we only experience the finished thing and it feels like this excellent marriage between what you captured visually and then these sounds that augment it and the two things weave together. It's very much this experience of this other world, mm. like this historic mm-hmm. mythic world that I, I just, it it's amazing. But hearing you say like, it wasn't at all the vibe on set is, is amazing because <laughs> it seems to work so well. You know, it's like I, when you have, you, you see like, behind the scenes of like some sci-fi movie where uh you know some space capsule door opens and on set it's oh yeah like yeah a, a little gas <laughs> canister going but on the movie they've got all these kind of gears and then yes. you know, that's that's i you know often you forget and but it's I so almost, great to hear a sound yeah it really that, does add such a character i think your imagination as a cinematographer helps because you have to be able to have that something you have to be able to hold something that experience yeah right definitely. and then they yeah. layer that icing on top of your cake you know what i mean like you have to Absolutely. bake that cake knowing that there's yeah. going to be icing later <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice um, way of saying it yeah i mean you always when the green knight's present the camera's always looking up at him and how immense he is and, you know that that is sort of the most foundational thing i can do visually I'm I'm really want to know a little bit about what the mood board was, both in like what specific sounds you were taking inspiration from, but also like what did you guys use as your visual mood board in general? Like, how, what were your inspiration sources? Yeah, for lighting? like the like. Let me just say the lighting in the castle when um, Lady Bertolac oh, delivers that probably most important speech to me in the movie about green, like the symbolism of it. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. beautiful. It's like candlelit lighting. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that scene. Um, that scene, I have to say, was pretty directly inspired by the Russian film War and Peace. Um, I had seen it early in pre-production, and there's one scene in particular that was kind of sticking in my head as something to crib. Um, and our scene looks nothing like it in the end. I think from the still that I had pulled, but. There's a little bit of trickery in that, too, that I showed um, to my wife, who is also a filmmaker, that she didn't notice it either, which I just love that it's sneaking by. But if you watch one of her very longest shots Mm -hmm. and you watch it from the very top to the bottom, if you just if you went A to B from end to out point, you would see that I over the course of the entire shot brought in this vignette so that the entire background fades away and that the woman who's sitting next to her with the blindfold becomes mm-hmm. completely gone. And you can't really feel it because it's such a long shot and it's slowly coming in. But that kind of, that gaze that she's giving us, you know, piercing eyes, it's sort of, I feel what Gawain's feeling is the world is just dropping out. And he is just looking at this woman giving this just absolutely horrifying speech. Uh, and that's, a, that's some of my favorite, favorite photography in the film. I was trying to think like what other films, um, you know, there's some 
we really liked uh, Willow. We talked about Willow some. I'm just mm. actually scrubbing back through my book. Generally, my lookbooks are built first from my scout photos, things that I'm experiencing and what I'm liking, what I'm not. And it's kind of like notes to myself. But then I kind of get into some some, uh, some things that I'm interested in. I have um, Flesh and Blood in here. I have some Rembrandt paintings. I have a film called The Valley of the Bees, which is uh, a real stunner. Uh, some paintings by DeWitt uh, and Friedrich. I have a film called The Devils and yeah, and Willow, which I mentioned. Willow is an interesting um, one, as you say another, it, I realize. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, is, there is a little bit of that. Yeah, I think the, that, that. And actually, the ones that I pulled are all the map paintings. It's all of these shots that are tiny characters within a massive landscape. And um, that was, those are the things that I, I think were done all with glass matte paintings. You know, there's one in particular where they're crossing a little bridge, you know, crossing a bridge with a great chasm underneath them. And I think that is, you know, full matte painting as are some of the other ones as well, but you know, some, some high art and low art. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys uh, created, this is an interesting thing. I don't know the budget. I know that this wasn't a massive, you know, this is an epic and it's an adventure story and it's high concept and all that. And yet, and it's historical. And yet, you know, I think it was modest by comparison to like tent poles typically. And it feels okay, yeah. big because I think you can, I think filmmakers can do a lot more with with canvas and with, epic and space. And I think this movie is a really good example. And when you talk about that specific, you know, the matte paintings, the small pieces in the big spaces, I was struck immediately when he leaves the castle or he leaves Camelot. Mm. He's in a big Mm -hmm. space and the world feels real big and real scary. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, and when he meets the, the, the kid in the, the war, like what, what, what were the conversations creatively not just visually, like where is he? What's what part of the of England is that? Did you talk about those kinds of things? That's in like yeah, that was in uh, Wicklow, Ireland. Uh, the one where he's leaving leaving Camelot. We shot in a uh, up in sort of a high high area called um, the Featherbeds, which that little path was you know I think kind of just a walking path or main mainly also just paths that sheep took. And so it kind of been run down by sheep, mm. um, but it's, you know, really beautiful high mountain kind of area. And, you know, we just went out there with Dev on a horse and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> a, a camera on a, on a truck basically. And, and just tried to, tried to make that shot as long as we could make it basically. And the, the way that Dev's posture changes over the course of that shot, I think it's just beautiful. And he, you know, he's coming out and he's so proud and he's, not even engaging with those kids because he thinks he's uh-huh. just too cool. And then by the end of that sort of farmer, he's, you can just start to feel his posture. He's just curling in on himself. He's terrified. Um, and that's kind of a kind of the movie in a nutshell in one, in one shot, which, um, you know, so it's so fun to shoot those kinds of shots. Cause when you get it and you have it, you just feel it's just, you can't do it again. You know it. And sometimes on set, 
you know, on the 16th take, you might get something, but then the director wants to go again to work on something else, or maybe the cast wants to go again to work on something. But when you have a shot like that and you get it, it just feels so great. It feels, you just, everyone's so excited. Everyone knows we got it and that we all together achieved the shot. And the same is sort of true with that, like 360 where Dev is um, replaced by a skeleton and then oh, again yeah. returns. We actually had to kind of do a little dance with the camera and placing that skeleton and then Dev and the key, the grip who was pushing the camera and, you know, we were rotating it on a remote head, but the feeling that, Oh my God, we got it. You laid down exactly in the right place. And, you know, his little scram his uh, scramble across the moss was, you know, great. It's just that feeling amongst the crew. is just so wonderful. I was going to ask as soon as you were talking about wonders, I was like, I wonder if they really did that in one. And you told me <laughs> you answered before I asked, but yeah. I, yeah. That that yeah. part is great. And there's I, I wanna ask about like as we you know, this is the big question and everyone will be discussing and debating, but how much did you and David and Dev and everybody else involved talk about meaning of the story mm. or of mm-hmm. you know the 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 film deviates a little a little from the original, but amazingly not all that much. And yet, you know, we don't yeah. really know entirely what the original story means. We don't know all the symbols of that era. There's lots of interpretations. And did you guys talk about stuff in those terms ever? And what did you talk about? Definitely. Yeah, we definitely did. I mean, I think a lot of the character motivations were discussed. You know, an actor, I think, often wants to understand how to, how to paint the scene with their performance. And, you know, hearing how he would discuss that with Sarita was also a really interesting thing to over, overhear, uh, you know, who plays Morgan Le Fay and mm-hmm. uh, Deb's mother in the film. And her character was often a discussion, especially once there's a rough cut. And we, as part of our process, David likes to do, and I w- hope that every filmmaker would have the chance to do what he does, which is to shoot a movie, have a rough cut, take a look at it, look at the land and say, you know, if I want to push this portion of the movie, I will go back. When we go back to shoot a bit more, I'm going to pick up some things that really, mm-hmm. really add some dimension to this portion. And so after seeing that first cut, I think uh, every, all the heads of the department saw it together. And it was it was great to sit in a room and all of us just have completely different interpretations of the movie. Um, Amazing. You know, even though we all set out to make the same movie on the paper and and to kind of get a little heated about it, I think, you know. Some discussions, uh, some views were not as well received as other, you know, like we all kind of were pitting each <laughs> against each other, but of course, all out of love. I'm like, no, it's this. Yeah. We should, we should focus on this. And, uh, but what you know, David you, just sits you... there quietly and just is soaking it all in. My read, my read is a lot about, um, Morgan Le Fay, I think, and, uh, and kind of like the great lengths that a parent goes to get, you know, to get a child to become a better person. And, but I also really was like, maybe the cut that I, we were discussing also was very heavy on stuff with Alicia Vikander as the, um, uh, as the prostitute in the brothel. And I, mm-hmm. and I was really struck by that love um, mm-hmm. and how I think I, you know, I think I really wanted to shoot more of this, what I was calling a love story in some ways. And perhaps wrongfully so, and perhaps not, you know, maybe just not the film that David wanted to make or um, whatever. But we had uh, certainly a lot more material of that. But I was really struck by 
the pain of seeing her in that montage at the end of the film um, yes. and when they lock eyes and, and how, how powerful that is. And I think David rightfully so didn't, we didn't need much more. Um, you know, it was there eventually the way in which it all got kind of woven into the film and then even a flashback later, which was never in the, uh, in the cut that I saw originally, you know, the cut we were first discussing where, you know, when he rings the bell and you kind of flash back to her and yeah. you can hear her a bit more, you know, once he left the castle originally, we never saw her again until huh. the very end. So some of that did get a little peppered in there, but it's just fascinating to hear all the reads yeah. of it. No, I mean, I, um, I could, I actually I could just, listen. I got an email from my sister just this evening and, she, you know, she has a really funny read of it and how, how humorous the film was, which I love because I think it's a very funny film at times too, but that my dad also saw who's this, uh, he's pretty conservative. And, you know, we were just, I was so excited to hear what he might have to say just because I knew it was going to be classic and, and funny. Um, <laughs> but she said that he just had no fucking idea what the movie was about. And she said, you know, that's okay. That's kind of, it was that, it was that way by design. And I, I just love that. But, He's just like, what the fuck is my son making? <laughs> <laughs> it's you, Dad, it's one of the oldest stories that exists. Like, it's basically like as core yeah. as it gets. I, Yeah, I mean, it's open to interpretation. There are things, like you say, she's a prostitute in a brothel. Even that's not entirely spelled out. I mean, it's clear, but it's not. Um, Morgan Le Fay as his mother is an invention of this version. She's his aunt of in the, the yeah, original. Version. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the prostitute. Yeah. Like, And I remember, you know, I saw it. And I was like, "Oh, that is a really powerful choice to make her his mother, to make yeah. the story closer to being yeah. a mother trying to force a son to come of age." Is a whole take yeah. um, unto itself, and I f- find that fascinating. And the the idea that you guys all sat in a room and discussed interpretations of a movie you'd made and disagreed, and the director yeah. weighed it all in his next cut is like a beautiful filmmaking story. I got to say, like, it's just, it's awesome. I love that there was time to do that. And I'd love to know more about what, what changed or what you guys saw. And you thought we should really push here, pull there, you know, like this is, I mean, yeah, that's just that whole montage at the end that where he sees what could be is amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you a different, a different way of telling you your answer is that there are a few scenes, which I don't think David changed a single frame of, which to me are like some of the strongest scenes. Mm -hmm. And it's really telling, you know, the ways in which filmmaking can come together just for all the right reasons, you know, all the reasons just kind of land into place. And it's just, it takes so much to make a good scene and it takes so much to have a good shoot day. You know, so many things need to go right. But the scene with St. Winifred, where he goes into her cottage and the whole mm-hmm. scene outside, all of that was nearly frame by frame from his very first cut directly mm-hmm. into the final cut, as well as that montage at the end, which you're mentioning. There's not a single mm-hmm. shot in there that was picked up at a later date or changed from his very first cut. I mean, it was just so locked down from the very beginning. And that those we always thought as these are the highlights of the movie and how do we, how do we continue to make the movie this strong in other places? Nice. Yeah. That montage is the heart and soul in a way. It's the moral. And uh, that Winifred thing is great because it's a, it's another myth from the region that it would have been. It's great history. Yeah. I mean, the nerd in me about this stuff yeah. loves that. Yeah, and it was also funny. There was I, comedy. I in that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the line, the way that she delivers the, 
why would you ask me that? I just love the way how, how she just stands up for her. So how could you ever ask me that? It's just incredible. The very first yes. time I shot her actually was on a camera test and I was already testing how she might float, which is a simple, you know, old trick, which is she just stands on a piece of track and I set a little platform for her and the grips are just below pushing her on a platform. But the very, very first time that I shot her, she was, I think she already had the dress on that she's wearing but she's just chewing bubble gum. And so she's just floating along like a ghost, but chewing bubble gum. And it's the, it's the collision there. It's just so incredible. I, oh, I need man. to try, try to find that clip at some That's point. That's a Monty Python. so funny. That's Monty Python. Yeah, it's Holy incredible. Right there. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been told we're running out. I could have gone on forever. Thank you so much. The movie's oh, great. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm so glad uh, someone who cares so deeply about it was was into the film. So thank you so much. Yes. All right. We'll talk soon. Good luck. Cheers. Thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening. I really hope you see The Green Knight or saw it. I'm glad you listened. I'm a big fan of movies that make you think, engage, discuss, and reflect. I think that's what audiences crave on some level. And I think it makes for better storytelling because it's the core of what the art is. It's uh, reflective, it's thoughtful, and this film's also beautiful. I just think on every level, they did a great job engaging with us, engaging with our senses. I can't say enough about the visuals, the audio mixing is just excellent. So thanks again, and hope to hear from you soon. Mm -hmm.